Greetings, and welcome to another edition of the And You Shall Know That I Am Yahweh, an Ezekiel podcast. I'm Ethan, and I'm very glad that you've given us the gift of spending time as we continue to explore uh, what God is saying through Ezekiel. We pick up today in Ezekiel chapter 6 and in verse 1. The word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them and say, You mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh to the mountains and the hills, to the ravines and the valleys, Behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places. Your altars shall become desolate, and your incense altars shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain before your idols. And I will lay the dead bodies of the people of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones around your altars." Wherever you dwell, the cities shall be waste and the high places ruined, so that your altars will be waste and ruined, your idols broken and destroyed, your incense altars cut down, and your works wiped out. And the slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. Yet I will leave some of you alive. When you have among the nations some who escape the sword, and when you are scattered through the countries, then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive, how I have been broken over their whoring heart that has departed from me, and over their eyes that go whoring after their idols. And they will be loathsome in their own sight for the evils that they have committed, for all their abominations. And they shall know that I am Yahweh. I have not said in vain that I would do this evil to them. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Clap your hands and stamp your foot and say, Alas, because of all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. He who is far off shall die of pestilence, and he who is near shall fall by the sword, and he who is left and is preserved shall die of famine. Thus I will spend my fury upon them. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, when their slain lie among their idols, around their altars, on every high hill, on all the mountain tops, under every green tree, and under every leafy oak, wherever they offered pleasing aroma to all their idols. And I will stretch out my hand against them, and make the land desolate and waste in all their dwelling places, from the wilderness to Riblah. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. So, Ezekiel is... Last timestamp that we received was in chapter 3, in which seven days after the initial vision, Ezekiel is this priest who is now being called as a prophet. He is 30 years old. He would normally start ministering the temple, but he's living in exile in Babylon. Uh, it's the year 592. Uh, there's still a king in Jerusalem, Zedekiah. This temple is still there. There are still people there. But the vessels of the house uh, of Yahweh, uh, King Je- Jehoiakim, and the nobles, the elite, and people like Ezekiel and Daniel have already been exiled to Babylon. And so he is prophesying among the exiles of Babylon. Uh, he has been warned this is going to be a very difficult thing to do. Uh, And he's already been set forth at the beginning of his message. The message we saw in chapter 4, a bunch of sign acts, uh, where Ezekiel would embody uh, the punishment that uh, Israel and Judah were experiencing because of their iniquities. Uh, In chapter 5, he would go through a very horrendous shave, and he would uh, cut up his hair, burn some of it, all to demonstrate how so many of the people of Judah were going to die by pestilence, by famine, by plague, by the sword, and through destruction. And so now the word of Yahweh has come again to Ezekiel. 
this might be part of the prophesying against the city that was mentioned in chapter 4. It might be its own coherent message. Uh, all of this uh, is coming uh, in the in this fifth year, maybe into the sixth year. We don't know exactly, but we're going to go along with the idea this is all flowing from this uh, experience that, that Ezekiel had and the call to engage in these actions and to prophesy at this time. And so what do we see prophesied here? We should definitely kind of step back and look at the totality of this message. Um, we see that the sins of Israel have been great. In fact, uh, in chapter 5, Israel's denounced that they're not following their own law. They're not even following the laws of the nations around them. They are, in fact, more rebellious than even the nations around them, all the pagans around them. And we see here one of the great issues, one of the great difficulties, but by no means not the only difficulty that Yahweh has with his people, and it is their idolatry. This is the common, constant emphasis that we see throughout this period of the kings. Uh, we see a little bit of it maybe in the Nehemiah uh, being addressed and dealt with, uh, but it is very much the standard challenge for Israel from the time it left Egypt until this time of Ezekiel. In fact, Ezekiel had much to say about that in chapter 20. But here, what's going on with the idolatry? Well, Israel exists in uh, the land of Israel, formerly land of Canaan in the southern Levant, uh, between Egypt to its south, the Mesopotamian countries uh, to the north and northeast, and in the milieu of the Canaanite nations. And they come into this land, and, they, and all these other people around them believe in all these different gods. They'll believe Yahweh is the God of Israel, but they also believe that Kamosh is the God of Moab, Ashur, the God of the Assyrians, Marduk, the God of the Babylonians. From, and, of course, there's the El, and there's Baal, and, Ast and uh, Astarte, and the Asherah, and you've got all of these various gods. And the idea were that these various gods were all in charge of various domains. And, and many of the domains involve uh, fertility and... Uh, whether human fertility, but of course crops as well. Uh, Baal is the thunder god, the storm god. Uh, and, and so if you don't have the storms, you have moat, you have death uh, prevailing and ascendant. And so they would offer all kinds of sacrifices and go through all of these various enacted stories and mythology in order to uh, maintain the fertility of the fields, which in the Levant is, is, is a very dicey proposition. Uh, you don't have the stable irrigation uh, that you have in Egypt, or even uh, from all the various uh, sources, uh, the Tigris and Euphrates there in Mesopotamia. It's very much more marginal. Very, very uh, prosperous when you get the rains, but if you don't get the rains, or you get too much rain, uh, you're looking at disaster. And so... They've been serving all of these gods. And so we're given this picture that is absolutely uh, just just shocking, uh, where Ezekiel prophesies that the sword is going to be brought, that if you look at the picture, it's just this, this, this horror that all the dead bodies of all the Israelites are going to be strewn around all these altars. So you can imagine this altar up on high places. The high places are hills, mountains, uh, where you believe you get closer to the gods. That's where they would build their altars uh, to these various gods and offer the sacrifice. And so we're to imagine on these green hills, uh, maybe there's a building, maybe just an altar. We see these altars, we're, we're to imagine all the dead bodies of the Israelites all around them uh, in devastated cities. And we always have to ask ourselves with Ezekiel, why the vulgarity? 
why the shock? Why this uh, the descriptive, almost perversity in the description? The It's very evocative, and, and this is one of the calling cards of Ezekiel. He's extremely evocative. He's extremely visceral in these images. And they're all designed to really try to shake Israel out of the complacency and to really import this powerful message. The reason why the people have been serving these gods, ostensibly, is their belief that these gods exist and are real and will... Uh, provide for them. And the fact that we see this picture of all of these dead bodies heaped up by these altars is a powerful testimony, uh, the kind of which Elijah has in First Kings chapter 18, that uh, Baal isn't really there, that Baal doesn't deliver. Uh, if Baal could deliver, all of these people who had served Baal would not be lying dead uh, around the altar. Now, is it a foolproof argument? Well, I mean, you know, somebody could then tell Ezekiel and Yahweh, well, when you see all the dead bodies of Judites heaped around uh, the temple in Jerusalem, uh, what would be your conclusion about Yahweh, right? And that's exactly what some people, as we're going to see, are going to argue about Yahweh. But at the same time, uh, for th there's going to be this very powerful image here that you were so convinced that these gods existed and could save you, and yet now uh, you're dead around them. And I'm going to bring these swords to cut them down. These are sacred things, right? The altars are sacred. The pillars are sacred. The statues are sacred. Uh, when these images and these objects are destroyed, toppled, torn down, uh, that, that they lose their sanctity. And you would imagine that if the god were real, he would or she would want to avenge uh, themselves and, and to get their honor back. And yet, nothing. Because they're not really there. They're not really going to help. Uh, and instead, you are left with the horrifying realization, which is what the, the passage is talking about, that the entire time it was Yahweh who was giving you all these things. The entire time Yahweh was your, the only God out there for you, and yet you had devoted yourself to these gods who could not save. And that is why uh, those who will be surviving, those who had gone uh, into captivity, will be loathsome in their sight because they've committed all of these evils. And now we have... Ezekiel's true calling card. You know, the reason why we're calling the podcast what it is, you shall know I am Yahweh. Uh, this is the first time we really see it here in chapter 6. We're going to see it a lot throughout. And it comes at times like this. You will know I am Yahweh. What, what, what does that mean? The I, it, it's, it's supposed to be kind of a startling thing because if you're an Israelite, you would already complain that you do know Yahweh. Yahweh is a God who brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt. Uh, again, always have to remember that while we think that they've all... Uh, uh, become unbelievers or atheists almost, they would have firmly told you, we are Israelites, we are Yahweh's people, Yahweh brought our ancestors out of Egypt with a strong hand, uh, Yahweh is our God. Uh, and so for Ezekiel to say, and you will know that I am Yahweh, is a, a kind of a rebuke to that. You don't really know who I am. It is a power demonstration, because I am Yahweh. And we keep insisting on using that divine name, Yahweh, because Yahweh means, we don't know exactly what it means, but it means the eternal one, it means the existent one. Uh, you think about all these other gods, Baal, you know, Lord or something, you got these gods who have these, have these power names. God, just, Yahweh, just is existence. That he is, is sufficient. Because he is all else can be. Uh, he, there's no more power than that, than just being in existence. And that's really what Yahweh is getting across. It's kind of a noun form of the verb to be. That's what, why you have the eternal one or the existent one as the way of trying to define it, which, again, just kind of boggles the mind. But that's the point. I exist. 
is what uh, Ezekiel's communicating here. And of course, if Yahweh is who he says he is, and his law is as he has said it is, then there is no escape for Israel based upon all Israel has done. The indictment is sure, the conviction is assured, and all that's left is to lament and mourn and to be completely ashamed of themselves for all of these things that they have done. And um, that is why he's, he was supposed to clap his hand, stamp his foot. That's you know just kind of emphasizing. And it's, again, a shameful thing. It's a degrading thing. Uh, this is not a pleasant thing or a pleasant moment. It's also worth pointing out there uh, the idea of whoring in verse 9. This is going to be a, 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 one of the things we see throughout the Old Testament. Hosea is to marry a, and to love a, a, a woman of whoredom, uh, Gomer, as a way of understanding uh, the experience Yahweh has gone through. That uh, Israel is seen as the faithless wife. And we're going to see Ezekiel uh, work this metaphor in very shocking ways as we continue. Uh, he's not the first to do it. Uh, it's a continual reference, and we see it here already. The idea that serving other gods is committing whoredom. You're prostituting yourself. It's prostitution because you are to have a singular covenant obligation with Yahweh, uh, yet you take the goods that you have received from Yahweh and you are pouring it out and giving it to these other gods who are uh, alternates to Yahweh, who are you are giving honor due to Yahweh to them. Uh, you are entering into an, a faithless covenant with them. And so if... If you want to look at it in terms of uh, of sex, it's whoredom. It's it's prostitution. It's also adultery. And again, Ezekiel is going to play on both of those as well. And that these are abominations. These are awful things. Uh, and uh, Israel doesn't see them as awful. And that's Israel's problem right now, is they don't see it as awful. They just see it as part of their... Uh, normal, because that's become normal. Their immorality before God, their idolatry before God has become normal, and Ezekiel's doing all that he can to show why it shouldn't be normal and how awful it is, and how much the land and the people are going to suffer because of it. And we'll have opportunity to return to all of these themes uh, as we uh, progress throughout Ezekiel. He continues, The word of Yahweh came to me, and you, O son of man, thus says the Lord Yahweh to the land of Israel, An end! The end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all your abominations. And my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will punish you for your ways, while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Disaster after disaster, behold, it comes. An end has come. The end has come. It has awakened against you. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near. A day of tumult and not of joyful shouting on the mountains. Now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways. And I will punish you for all your abominations. And my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am Yahweh who strikes. Behold the day, behold it comes, your doom has come, the rod has blossomed, pride is budded, violence has grown up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, nor their abundance, nor their wealth, neither shall there be preeminence among them. The time has come, the day has arrived, let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is upon all their multitude. For the seller shall not return to what he has sold while they live. For the vision concerns all their multitude, it shall not turn back, and because of his iniquity, none can maintain his life. They have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but none goes to battle, for my wrath is upon all their multitude. 
The sword is without. Pestilence and famine are within. He who is in the field dies by the sword, and him who is in the city famine and pestilence devour. And if any survivors escape, they will be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them moaning, each one over his iniquity. All hands are feeble, and all knees turn to water. They put on sackcloth, and horror covers them. Shame is on all faces, and baldness on all their heads. They cast their silver into the streets, and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of Yahweh. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it was the stumbling block of their iniquity. His beautiful ornament they used for pride, and they made their abominable images and their detestable things of it. Therefore I will make it an unclean thing to them, and I will give it into the hands of foreigners for prey, and to the wicked of the earth for spoil, and they shall profane it. I will turn my face from them, and they shall profane my treasured place. Robbers shall enter and profane it. Forge a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses. I will put an end to the pride of the strong, and their holy places shall be profaned. When anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster comes upon disaster. Rumor follows rumor. They shall seek a vision from the prophet, while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders. The king mourns, the prince is wrapped in despair, and the hands of the people of the land are paralyzed by terror. According to their way I will do to them, and according to their judgments I will judge them, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. Chapter 7 here does flow with all that we've seen. It's another very vivid demonstration of the distress that's going to come upon Israel. And chapter 7 is a very difficult text. And what I mean by that is that the text itself is very difficult. If you have a Bible that notes uh, challenges the Hebrew, you probably see a lot of the Hebrew here is uncertain, the Hebrew here is uncertain. Uh, it, it very much at times has what we call an ecstatic feel. Uh, ecstasy uh, in terms of these things. Uh, for instance, John in the Revelation, sometimes the way he writes is very ecstatic. It's something that's mostly smoothed over in English that you don't see it, but they have moments. Behold, it comes, an end, the end, it has come, it has come. The day it comes, the doom has come. I mean, you can kind of see that a little bit in how the English Standard translate that there. And there are times where the Hebrew does not make a whole lot of sense the way it's written because it's probably seen in this ecstatic vision. Ezekiel is seeing all these things happening. It's like we can imagine maybe he's seeing it like a movie where he sees all of these events happening. He sees the despair, the devastation, the sword coming, the killing and all of this and he's trying to explain it and it's coming in this emotional intense outburst and he's he's crying it out and it's getting written down or he's writing down later but what he's writing down isn't really floridly well established grammatically. It's just in these short bursts over and over again. And the scene is just one of absolute chaos and devastation. And it's one of those things where when you're living through the middle of it, it seems completely accurate. But at this very moment, there seems to be peace in, in, in Israel, where in Judah, the king isn't sitting on the throne. Things seem like they're normal. Uh, and what... Ezekiel is trying to show them is that it's not going to be normal. It's going to come very quickly. It's going to be thoroughly devastating. And it's all according to what they have done. From beginning to end, I will judge. Up The end has come upon you. I am pouring my anger upon you. It's the day of the wrath of Yahweh mentioned. I'm judging you according to your ways. I will punish you for your abominations. And it ends according to their way I will do to them. According to their judgments I will judge them. 
Okay. Uh, this is one of those ways that we see God's judgment is very vivid and powerful. That God is basically just giving them over to what they wanted. They acted like the nations. They're going to suffer the fate of the nations. They put their trust in these gods. They're going to be handed over to the fate of these gods and what these gods have done to others or how uh, people have lived before these gods. Uh, and they're going to find out that out, apart from Yahweh, when Yahweh removes his grace and his his uh, favor from them, and they're just left to be treated like the other nations, um, they're going to suffer uh, pestilence, famine, death, sickness. Uh, they're going to experience rape and plunder and burning and, and death by the sword, uh, where untold thousands are going to die, and those who survive, many of them wish that they were among the dead because it would be less traumatic. And this will come upon all of these people within the decade. And the judgment of God was fully poured out upon his people according to their sins. And that's the thing. We don't really want to meet God uh, if we have spent our time uh, pursuing the gods of the nations. We don't want to have God tell us, according to our way, I will do to them. And according to their judgments, I'm going to judge them. Because our standing before him will not go well if that's the situation. That's why James tells us that judgment comes without mercy for those who do not show mercy. And you don't want to be in that position. Uh, Israel did not want to be in that position. And yet, here we are. And thus, they were thoroughly denounced. Thus, uh, Ezekiel has uh, provided the prophetic condemnation. And as we continue, we're going to see how God continues to speak through Ezekiel to establish the basis upon which uh, the condemnation is coming for Jerusalem, how it is just, and how indeed it will be that Israel will come to know that he is Yahweh. May God bless, guard, keep you until we're able to meet again.